0: about going up to the high places, going up to the high places. I really feel like that's where God calls us. In fact, you weren't built for low places, amen? You weren't made to stay in anything that uh, that keeps you feeling stuck. And so I want to pray for this service today, and I just ask, ask the Lord to help us to open up the Word of God a little bit here as we go to Genesis Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 18. Today we're going to be talking a little bit more specific about the church, going to be talking a little bit more specific about the things that rule our lives. How many have a ruler? Do you have a ruler? Have one near you? Go ahead and find your ruler if you have one near you. We're going to be talking a little bit today about the things that are not supposed to be ruling our life, and at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to do something with that specifically, and uh, so keep, keep yourself posted for that, and we'll be talking a little bit about that. In Genesis chapter 22, we find our text today, beginning in verse 1, and it says a story that's an Old Testament story that seems very strange to us, but I want to walk you through it a little bit and let you know how it applies to us. Number one, it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, how many know who that man is, called the father of the faithful? And he said, Behold, here am I. That's the response we're supposed to give to God when he calls our name. And he said, Take thou thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. That's a whole lot of credentials right there. Thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. I'm not sure that this sounds like God right now. Anybody else wondering what's going on here? In verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto the young men, abide here with the donkeys, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Notice he calls it worship. What he's going to do, he called worship. This is the first use of the word worship in your Bible. And come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, Father, he said, Here am I my son, he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb of the burnt for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. How many know that's a messianic prophecy right there? God Almighty will provide himself a son, a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both to, of them together and they came to the place which God had told him And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood and abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son and the angel of the lord called unto him from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said here am i notice he says the same thing every time here am i and he said lay not thy hand upon the lad neither do thou anything unto him for now now i know everyone say now i know That thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looked, and beheld behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham, look, and this is an important verse. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh means God His provider. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of the heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of thine enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." Thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask you to bless it as we walk through this understanding of of this great ask, this great request that you gave Abraham. And I'm praying somewhere in the course of this, un, this sermon that you would speak to each heart in this room. I pray in Jesus' name. Call us up to the high places, I pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen? You may be seated. I've often lived by the construct of dream, believe, and achieve, and that has been something that drives my life, but this story is so complex in its detail, and there's so many things here that we just cannot understand. We, we truly cannot understand the value of having a son in this culture, this particular culture here, the culture that where the son is the heir of everything the father has. And so Abraham had no heirs. He had no one to pass on his wealth to. And in in modern day, Abraham was so wealthy, in modern day, he would be a billionaire. If you calculated up what you see in scripture and put it in modern day terms, as far as numbers, he's a billionaire. And whenever you have a billionaire who has no heirs, that means all of his money, all of his wealth would have been passed to a servant. And so God comes and promises him when he's old, him and Sarah, when he's old, that he's going to have a child. And as you know, when God promises you something, there's always a time of delay. How many have lived through the time of delay with God before, where he's promised you something and you had to wait on God to fulfill his promise? That's the hardest place to be. And you know what? Abraham and Sarah flunked that test. They decided that they were going to help God process this promise. Amen? Amen. So they're like, hey, Sarah has a maid servant named Hagar going under her and uh, have a child, Ishmael. And Abraham says, okay, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> and he goes in and, and they have a child. And that's not what God wanted. That's not what God, God did not bless that child. He wanted to give them a child that they wanted, that he wanted to give them and he had promised them. Right. And so in their old age, here we see progressing forward that, Isaac is now 30 years of age, roughly in this passage. And Abraham, when he has the child, he's nearly 100 years old. And at this point, we're looking at a 100-year-old man with his son, and he's going up to a high place to offer him as a sacrifice unto the Lord. God did not want Isaac to be offered as a sacrifice. God wanted Abraham to keep God first because in the day in which we live, Abraham having a son would have meant that Abraham would have turned his attention to developing his son to be his next heir. And God was saying, I'm glad that you have a son, but I want you to keep me as a friend. I want to stay close to you. And I want to make sure there's nothing in between you and I. And sometimes God will ask us to lay down things. We can have Moriah, that's the mountain that they were on here, Moriah moments where I believe when we come to Christ, we surrender. I believe that. But there's also other times in our lives, where God asks us specifically to surrender different things in order for Him to take us to a higher place. This whole story truly is a story of surrender. It truly is a story about the power of surrender, the power of laying something down that you not only believe has your promises in it because he believed his, his heirs were going to come from his son, but also God said, who you love. God recognized that Abraham loved Isaac. And so God was not after a sacrifice of Isaac. This is, except for Jesus Christ, the greatest sacrifice offered by anybody or asked of anybody in scripture that I can see outside of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So in the story, we see that there's so many different brilliant places where God interweaves the telling of the story of Jesus Christ, the, the, the prophecy of things to come, that Isaac is like Christ being sacrificed on the altar, and God is there, and not wanting just Isaac, but wanting Abraham to come into relationship with him. And so we see here that there's so many things that are beautiful about the story, Number one is that his surrender got him there. Abraham's surrender to God is what got him in the position where God could ask him for the most valuable things. And I think there is this conception in our world that when God asks you something, it's a loss. When God asks you for something in your life to lay it down, it's always a loss. And that is not the case because when he gave what God asked him for, the Bible says that in blessing, I'm going to bless you. And in multiplication or multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. In other words, what God asked him for was not to take away from him, but to add to him. But had he not surrendered it and had he not given it up, it would not have happened. And today, as I prayed about where we're headed as a church, God told me to look to the high places because God wants to take us beyond where we are. God wants us to lay some things down, not because he wants to take things away from us, but because he wants to add to our lives. Amen. And so the surrender that I'm talking about is not necessarily about surrendering sin in our life. We all know we need to do that. Laying down sin is a very important thing that we must do to walk with God because it gets in the way and it separates us from the things of God. But I'm talking more importantly about the blessings of God. The things that God has blessed us with. Isaac was a blessing here. And there's several things that happened in this story that I want to bring out for you. And that is number one, this is one of Isaac's greatest blessings. It's the progenitor of his of his welfare, the progenitor of his personal his personal welfare in the fact that when he gets old and unable to protect his wealth, his son will protect him and his wealth and make sure it passes to his family and not robbed or stolen or taken from his heirs. also we understand that the reputation of the personal reputation of Abraham had to be laid down because he was taking his son, his future to a mountain to offer him unto God. And I don't believe that Abraham ever had a moment where he didn't trust God and have faith in God. I just believe that we have to look at the dynamics of what's going on here. That the one son that God gave him, that he personally would become the one who killed him. And, and overall, that makes us uncomfortable because God wouldn't ask somebody to murder someone else. Obviously, he's not. He's saying, will you lay down the thing that's most important to you? And I ask you that question as well. Is there something in your life that's more important than God? And if so, maybe God would come and ask you for a Mariah moment, for you to take it and lay it on an altar. And it's not where he's going to remove it from your life necessarily because of it being a blessing, but because of the fact that It is something that stands maybe between you and God. What kind of blessings are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about gifts that God's given you. Maybe the gift of intelligence. Maybe the gift of beauty. Maybe the gift of financial blessings. Maybe the gifts... Of children, Maybe the gifts of education. Maybe you have some of those things. Maybe you have the the giftedness to to speak well. Maybe you just have the ability to, to talk people into things. Maybe those are the things that you're gifted with, and I'm wondering, are those things in between you and God? Have you let them get in the way? Have you decided that you can take that gift and use it without God, without the blessings of the Lord? there is nothing like using your blessings for the kingdom of God. There's nothing like it. And there's no place in the kingdom of God more beautiful than to know that you've used your gifts fully for God, the things that he gave you. There are great men with great wisdom that use their minds to believe that there is no God. The gift that God gave them, their intelligence, to use it to turn and to graphically explain how We come from monkeys, or we come through evolution. And I'm not here to talk about creation science today, but I'm here to tell you that God blessed people with things they used against Him. And so it's not uncommon for God to ask us to give Him a blessing that we've had. When God offers beautiful things in return, we have to trust Him with everything. And that's where we're at today. We're talking about trusting God with everything. This is not my church. This is not even your church. This is God's church. This is the church you go to. This is the church you attend and you bless others through your service. Yes, but this is the Lord's church. And when we give it that kind of surrender and that kind of voice and that kind of interpretation, we understand that no matter what happens here today, God is lifted higher than everybody else. God is lifted higher than every song of worship. God is lifted higher than any personality or person. God is lifted higher in everything that we do. And so his personal reputation had to be laid down and so does ours. We don't come here because we get titles or anything like that. We don't come here because we have some sort of label or place to work. We come here because his reputation is so great that he deserves my presence in his presence. If we set a service and we're going to worship the Lord, I should make sure my presence is there because his presence will be there. His reputation is higher than my personal reputation. And then, of course, Abraham's spiritual reputation. Imagine him having to go home and tell his wife what happened afterwards. Honey, uh, we need to talk. It's going to be a difficult conversation. The Lord told me to take our son up to the mountain and sacrifice him. You think she's going to receive that very well? Of course not. She's going to question every spiritual thing about him. Are you sure you heard from God? Are you sure that was the voice of God? And imagine Isaac. I mean, we, we talk about Abraham a lot, but imagine Isaac, his lifestyle. Imagine Isaac being on the, the couch of a, of a psychologist at 30, telling his story. Yeah, my father tried to burn me alive. Yeah, uh, my father invented circumcision and tried it out on me. Yeah, he's got, he's got a bad story, right? It's difficult. It's difficult. Difficult to be Isaac. Yeah, I, I, my father never played football with me. He was a hundred when he had me. <laughs> so when he when I said go long, Dad, it took him. <laughs> that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> go long. <laughs> it's gonna take him a while with the walker, you know. I'll oh, get it, son. Just throw the ball. I'll get there. This is the life that Isaac lived, where. And God is speaking to his father, and he had consequences. And so here's Isaac's dad saying, this is what God told me to do. And Isaac's questioning, we got a problem here. We got fire, and we've got wood. And Fire means the ability to start the fire, and we've got wood, but we've got no lamb. He understood they needed a lamb. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood can be no remission of sin. If we're going up to worship God to cover sin, we need a lamb. And Abraham said something most beautiful, that God will provide his lamb. That God, my father, will provide a son whose flesh who will be the lamb for the sacrifice to shed his blood and recover us from our sins. Amen, somebody. Thank God for that. Thank God for the glory The power, the beauty of that story and the fact that Abraham said God's always going to be the provider. And then at that point where he raises the knife to offer his son, God not wanting Isaac, as I said, but still having an ear to heaven. Sometimes when God tells us to do things, we just set out to do them, and we have to understand that God wants to be speaking all through the process of our obedience. It's not just obeying an order. We're not just doing uh, some sort of military task where orders come down, we fulfill them. God is actually going to speak to you all throughout your obedience if you're obedient to Him, but you have to be obedient to God. And so then when Abraham was obedient, he raised the knife and the angel of the Lord said, stop, wait, don't kill the boy. And he turned and he saw a ram stuck in the thicket by his horns. Amen. Same picture we see of Jesus being placed with a crown of thorns on his head, that Jesus was caught by the thorns. Amen. It's a picture Of Jesus Christ again. And so we see the beauty of that, but we also see the amazing, the amazing thing that Abraham says. He says, this place is called Jehovah Jireh. This place is called the high place of God, the place, the Mount of God. Anytime God calls you to something higher, it's always going to be a difficult climb. It says nothing about their climb to this location. But I want to promise you, it wasn't easy getting here, amen? I I personally was a mountain marathon runner. I know you can't tell, just trust me, okay? Had some good food since then. I, I eat well. But I used to run mountains, and when we would run mountains, you had to claw your way to the first, what we called the first knoll, the place where the trees stopped growing, and the mountain opened up to you and you could see. And when you got to the first knoll, you could step out of the trees and you look to this beautiful scenery, the amazing open area, looking over the valley and the river. And there was like this regeneration of your strength from the view that you have. And that's what I'm talking about today. This is a new year. You need a new view. Amen. You need a new perspective on life, a new place to look from because it renews your strength. And so I'm asking you today, what, what have you been clawing up through? What have you been doing a mountain climber through to get through? What have you been trying your best to get out from under? What has been trying to rule over you? You need a new ruler, amen? You need a God who is bigger than everything. And as we clawed our way up to that first knoll, we would always stop. And I remember my youth pastor who got me into mountain running. He's like, keep running. And I felt like I was dying. I'm like, I I don't think I'm going to make it. He's like, just wait till you get to the first knoll. And when I came out for the first time and saw that, I was like, if it's good here, I want to go up there to the top of the mountain because what's the view like from up there? That's what happens when we get into a place where God calls us out of some things that we have to surrender. When we claw our way out of addictions or problems or difficulties or struggles or family relations that are rubbing or or any kind of relationship or getting through school or paying off student loans. When we're clawing ourselves out of something that we've gone through in life and God gets us to that first perspective of saying, this is where I want to take you. This is what it's going to look like. This is how I want to bless you. There's a strength that comes from that. There's a strength that opens up in your life. And you say, if God can get me here, and this is what it looks like, this is what a blessing from God looks like. I want to go there. I want to go to the next high place. I'm, I am I want to go from glory to glory, Corinthians said. And I, I just, I want you to know that Paul wasn't just saying that we take on the image of God. What he was saying was God's not on, only going to call you to a high place, but that high place is going to give you strength to go to the next high place. That high place is going to to give you a view that says this is glorious this is beautiful but I wonder what that's going to look like and in life it helps us to know that God is taking us from one great place to the next great place because if you don't believe the word of God it's hard to see it but they climbed the mountain themselves they had to get to the place of sacrifice and when they got there it was a place of surrender and after all of that God returned to them an understanding that there is a Jehovah God who provides his own sacrifice. God's not asking you to give up anything more than you've already lost. In fact, God never makes you lose something. He always gives you more than you've had taken away. And so, today I'm asking you what stands between you and God because Exodus 34 and 14, there's this really strange verse in Scripture and it says that God's name is Jealous. Did we lose our projectors? Can you bring that back up? Okay. Exodus 34, if you want to turn there. Exodus 34 and 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. I don't hear that in any of our songs of worship, Rob. We're not great is the Lord. We're not, we're not using God is love, God is awesome. And I've never heard God is jealous. Never heard that in one of our songs. But the the thing is, we often think of jealousy as a negative thing. How many believe jealousy is a negative thing? We're not supposed to be jealous. There's also a good jealousy, and that's the jealousy that God has. There's the negative jealousy that's that creates tension and, and all kinds of problems between people that are jealous of each other or jealous of what somebody else has and what you don't have. But this jealousy just means... An intolerance for anything that, has more, that you give more attention to. An intolerance of anything that stands between you and God. He's like, I'm jealous. Compared to what God has done for you, nothing should stand between you and Him. That's what he's saying. Compared to the sacrifice that he's given, shedding all of his blood on Calvary, giving up everything in the most gruesome sacrifice known to man, he compared to what he's done for you, Jessica, there's nothing that should stand in the way of you and God because he removed it all with his sacrifice, amen? Not only sin, but there should be nothing that you place in place of him. And so he's saying, take, take an understanding from this verse that I'm a jealous God and I'm going to pursue you all your life. I'm going to pursue you all of your days because I love you that much. If I loved you enough to die on a cross, I'm going to pursue you all your days. And there is there, there are some people that b- believe in this universalism where it's all just a different understanding of the same God and, and you can have one religion or another religion and we all end up in the same place. Well, if that's true, then when God sacrificed through Jesus Christ, the most gruesome death ever known as a Roman torture device, the cross. I could not respect God as a father because that's abuse. We can't say the beautiful cross. How could we say the glorious and beautiful cross? That's a torture device. And God would be the worst abuser if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus was truly the only way to be saved. If he put Jesus on that kind of a cross and everyone else can get to him however they choose to get to him, that's abuse. That's the greatest form of abuse ever. He should have just said, As Jesus was praying in the garden, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And God's saying, there's no other way. You have to be sacrificed as the perfect lamb. This is is the story of Abraham and Isaac. There's no other way. You have to be sacrificed. If there was another way, if there is another way to heaven, as the world says there is, then Jesus should have never died on the cross. But because he did, He is the way and the only way. The way, the truth, and the life. Amen? So yes, we make very bold truth statements. Yes, we say there's no way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. We say that because He's the one that gave us a calling to a high place, and everyone in here has a calling. You know you have a calling on your life, and that calling comes through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. And I'm thankful that He's the one that climbed that hill called Golgotha. I'm grateful that He went to the place of the skull so that He could remove my confusion and remove my struggle and remove anything in my mind. He conquered it all at the place of the skull. Amen. I'm grateful. that he surrendered his personal reputation. I'm grateful that he surrendered his spiritual reputation. I thought you were king of the Jews. I thought you were a rabbi. He hung there shamed and naked for us. He hung there with everything that we should have hung there for. He took my cross, your cross, our cross to Calvary. And it wasn't about him. It was about us when he died. And that's why we must understand that even though we focus on ourselves at times and the ministries that we're involved in, the me always has to be converted to we. We've always got to step to a point where we understand that this sacrifice was not just about Abraham and Isaac. This sacrifice blessed their entire lineage. And Jesus' sacrifice blessed our entire world with salvation, and I'm thankful for it because he carried my cross, and he carried yours, and there's nothing that deserves to rule over your life greater than Jesus Christ. He wore a crown of thorns so you could wear a crown someday. And you're not just going to wear it to be somebody special, but when you get to heaven, you're going to say everything in this life deserves to be at his feet. Everything I've gone through in this life, he bought it all and I'm going to worship him with my entire life. Everything I've done right, everything that grace has purchased for me, everything I didn't deserve but got anyways, those gems, those crowns, that crown of beautiful things is going to be taken off and laid at the feet of Jesus because without him we could not heaven without him we would be ruled by things that are tyranny over our life by things that don't bring us pain bring us nothing other than pain and suffering but because of jesus christ because of his sacrifice and all are blessed to say i don't need to live by this rule i don't need to live by those rules i need to live by jesus christ amen the jews believed there were 612 different laws in the old testament They were living by rules and rules don't work. You know, rules are meant to be broken, (laughs) they say. So we have to understand that whenever God blessed Abraham, he was given a picture of the blessing that he would be handing out through Jesus Christ. And it says in the blessing I will bless thee and multiply verse 17. I will multiply thee. Because it's not just the place, but it's also representing that when God calls you to something higher, Jesus did say, let this cup pass from me. But there was something higher he was going to. So when we see in the scriptures that it says, in this mount the Lord it shall be seen to this day, it's not just saying about Abraham and Isaac. It's saying to this day, In Moriah, is called the place of Jehovah-Jireh, the place where God provides. And anytime God calls you to a high place, he'll provide it, amen? Anytime you break a ruler over your life that's not God, he'll provide your way out. That's what God promises. And so we understand that in the scripture that he says, I will multiply thee as the stars. I'm in verse 17. The seed, uh, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of the enemies. Go home and study what gate means. Just Google it, what gate means in the Bible. And you're going to find out that not only did God give him provision in the high place, but he gave him possession of his enemy's gate. And the gate in Scripture is where they did law. It's where they did, they handled different kinds of uh, legal matters. It's where it's mentioned several times in Scripture because it's a doorway. They often had an outer doorway and an inner doorway. And in between those two places were the gate in which the kings and the judges sat to rule a city and to rule over matters. And it was the inner line of defense. The gate was set into the inner wall, which was the inner line of defense for a city. And so when God said, I'm going to give you blessing, and I'm going to give you the possession of the gate of your enemies, he's saying, I'm going to give you the power to get past the inner lining of defense of your enemies. He gave them not only power, but he gave them possession. And I'm grateful, because to the modern era, we don't describe the gates the same way. They just seemed to be a place through a fence or but in biblical times the gates was a passageway through a defensive wall, and it's used several different times. number one in the Hebrew Bible, it's used when Boaz wished to exercise his his right as a family as as a male relative. Boaz took ten men, the elders of the city, and sat them down in the gate when the exchange between the two kinsmen ended Boaz. To Boaz's satisfaction, Boaz addressed the crowd in the gate. He said, today you are witnesses. It's where people witnessed changes and exchanges. He said, today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, we are witnesses. And today I'm calling us to high places. High places are places above our temptations. Places above the places where we've been before. Places above addiction places above the the pains of our hearts, places above the, the things that we needed to forgive long ago and haven't forgiven yet, calling you to the high places, amen. Calling you to the high places. And today we want to pray over some people as we end this service, because I believe it's important that we understand that justice takes place in the gate. All of these things happen, and we're blessed and given because... the power of surrender. He said, I'm going to bless your future, and I'm going to give you more than you had. He doesn't want anything to be ruled by us, but he wants us to rule over everything. He said, my power, I'm going to leave you. My power, I'm going to, my peace, I'm going to give you. And so there's several things that we want to do. If you stand with me today, if you'd find your ruler, musicians, you can come and help me. And the gate of the city was also a podium for Israelites, prophets of old, that would stand up and speak the truth of God. In fact, Amos, one of the old prophets, uh, you can read about him. It's a short book. It's for people who have ADD. They can read Amos in one sitting. He said, hate evil and love good. And he said, and establish justice in the gate. What God has promised Abraham, which we are because of being grafted in, because the Jews denied Jesus, and because we have accepted the Christ, the Savior, we understand that we are grafted in as heirs of Abraham, of faith. And in salvation, as we walk through that process, we understand that God gives us the blessings that he gave Abraham. How many know that's true, say amen. That we're not just a Book of Acts church, but we're an Abraham lineage church. We have the blessings of Abraham on our life. And so we have the opportunity to stand and say, if there's any injustice, God will make it right. And so if you have something that you haven't forgiven somebody for, if you have something that's been in your life for too long, I want you to know that today as I pray, I want you to ask God and say, I don't want to be ruled by bitterness anymore. I don't want to be ruled by anything that holds me back from the high places of God. I want to get a new perspective. I want a new year, but I want a new view, amen. So would you bow your heads with me? I come against any past enemies. I come against any past voices. Right now in the name of the Lord, I come against anything that speaks scarcity or speaks insignificance. I come against any voices that say that someone's not worthy. For Jesus, you wouldn't have gone to a Calvary like that if we were not worthy. You died for everyone here, not only here, but this whole world. And So thank you, Lord, that you died for us. And today we're going to take these rulers and we're going to break them as a symbol Lord God, of the fact that you broke off every law. You fulfilled the law. Your law of love is greater than any law that was ever in the Old Testament. And today, we don't want to just walk around measuring things to see if they line up to what God says, but we want to live in the high places. We don't want to live in the low places. We don't want to live a minimal relationship with God of how much can I do and get by, but we want to go to high places, Jesus. Help us to reach for the high places as a church. Help us to reach for the places we go up to that you call us to and help us to surrender anything right now in the name of Jesus that would keep us from seeing your victory in our life. Amen. I'm speaking to somebody right now prophetically. I believe this, that God is calling you to a high place this year. God is calling you to a higher place than you've ever been before and it shall manifest itself in your life this year, but we're going to break some things off of our life right now, and we're going to do this together. So as you get your ruler in your hands, I want you to begin to pray a prayer. Whatever you need to pray, I don't know what it is, but whatever you felt you've been bound by, whatever rule you've been living by, whatever you feel like has restricted you, you need to get a new ruler, and that's Jesus Christ, who loves you unconditionally. And we're going to pray this prayer together, and we're going to then break these rulers together as a sign that we're going to go. To the high places. We're not going to let anything keep us down anymore. We're not going to let anything hold us and bind us. We're going to go to where God wants us to be. And I ask it in Jesus' name that you let liberty come from this simple act, this simple sign, Lord God, that we're breaking off the measurements of anybody else. We're breaking off the ruler, the judgment of anything else in our life. And we're going to listen to what the voice of God has to say. We're going to go to the high places. Whatever you call us next to, God, We're going to take that next step in Jesus' precious name. We pray it in Jesus' name in Jesus name and now when we break this I want you to give a shout unto the Lord and we're going to do this together I want you to put in your mind anything that you felt has restricted you whether financial whether relational whether it's a gift that's been given and you feel like someone has strings tied to it or, or whatever it may be you find a thing that comes to your mind right now and when we break this I want you to shout highest praise we're going to go to the high places we're going to go to the highest praise place we can after we break this off we're gonna celebrate Liberty in this house so together I'm gonna to count one two three and we're gonna break it and then I want you to shout hallelujah which just means highest praise to our God are you ready do you have your ruler in your hand ready one two three let's do it together now shout out to God with a voice of triumph. Let's worship the Lord together. Would you lift your ruler? Would you say, I bind anything that speaks against rule in my life? And I'm asking God right now that his blood is the highest law, that his sacrifice is the highest ruler, that he becomes my king and my Lord. I make him the Lord of everything in my life right now. And I celebrate that every curse, every problem, I bind generational curse verses they've been broken off of your life right now in the name of Jesus I bind anything that speaks against your blessing right now it is broken in Jesus name and we have a new ruler in this house would you celebrate the Lord right now would you worship the Lord together would you clap your hands unto the Lord and shout unto God with a voice of triumph